I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long-term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Hello, my name is Demetrius. This is Michelle. Hey, everyone. This is Jason. Hey, guys, how we doing? And you're listening to Spaces Podcasts. Welcome to Spaces, everyone. Uh, for our returning listeners, thank you for coming back. Uh, today we are discussing fitness gyms. Uh, but before we get into that, we're going to catch up. Michelle, how has your week been? Well, my week's been great. Um, you know, it's only Monday, so can't complain yet. Uh, this past weekend was the first weekend that we have been in town in I think six or seven weeks. So it was really, really refreshing to just be able to be at home and do things like, you know, what I call life management, which, you know, involves things as mundane as doing the laundry. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, uh, you know, sort of exploring and being just part of your own community in town. So it was really nice to be home. And then just personally speaking, we have a couple of pretty big trips planned, uh, one for later this year over the Thanksgiving holiday, and then another in February. So we are kind of in the, the planning stages, trying to get itineraries set and uh, make sure that we're making the most out of our time while we're abroad. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, Jason. Yeah, um, nothing too crazy. I, I don't think I mentioned it in the last one, but I finally, I'm about 90% of the way over pneumonia. Oh, um, so I actually didn't mention it, but we took our family vacation a few couple weeks back, a few weeks back to Hawaii, and I actually got sick in Hawaii. Um, pretty rough for the last three days, so I didn't get to go out too much. 
um, and then took a plane ride home from hell, basically, because of the pressure in my head and my chest. And then went to a, uh, I don't really go to a doctor, so I kind of went to urgent care. They essentially misdiagnosed me, and about six days later, I still had a fever and all this type of stuff. My wife's yelling at me to go again. And so I went again, and they're like, yeah, dude, you got pneumonia. <laughs> so I was uh, fighting that for about two and a half weeks total, I think, until it's pretty much been over, and I lost seven pounds in the process, so full-on Hollywood diet. And uh, and only recently, at the end of last week, did I finally start getting back to the gym and stuff, but I'm still about 90%, so I'm happy to say I'm almost over that. And then my wife's sick now, doesn't quite have pneumonia, but now she's sick, so with kids and stuff, you go through it. But the crazy thing for me... Today, my son turns 10. Wow. So, kind of a trippy milestone. I've got a kid that's now in double digits. <laughs> um, he's no longer a, a boy, if you will. He's, you know, starting to make that trek into, like, a little dude, if you will. And um, makes you kind of somewhat sad because that, that little innocence is definitely gone, but you're excited to see what they're going to grow into. But, uh, but yeah, so, so pretty trippy milestone today. I've got a, a child that's now in double digits. Kind of crazy. Definitely. Even though I haven't known you that long, it seems like it went by fast just from uh, the short time that I've known you. You know what? I, I think I made the comment on the last one. There's a gentleman that works with the home builders, the president of home builder. And um, like years and years ago, when my son was you know first born. He was telling me, he's like, man, he's like, just get ready because life only accelerates. And I kind of thought it was funny at the time. So I'm going, nah, it's got to slow down, dude. It just keeps going faster and faster. And before you know it, you know, I never thought I'd be one of those ones that, that would say, like, where did the time go? But you blink, and it's legitimately like, where did the time go? I've got a 10-year-old son. I've got a 7-year-old daughter. You know, i got almost 13 years in a marriage with my awesome wife. So it's just it's just crazy. You blink, and it's like, holy cow, where'd we go? Yeah. So this past weekend, I um, my grandmother ended up having to go to the hospital for it's kind of a long story but um she's in a they transferred her over to like a senior uh, uh what do you call it physical therapy like a care facility like a physical therapy or, or rehab center facility um but it's all seniors and it's just amazing when you walk into these older facilities how bad they are and she's actually in like a pretty nice one but you go in and uh, you, you're immediately hit in the face with like this. There's no PC way to say it, but sort of. It's a, a smell, dude. It's like right? an old, old people smell. Uh, and, <laughs> and in my mind, I immediately think it's poor air circulation. And then you walk around and the wayfinding is awful everything's the same color everything looks the same so if i couldn't even imagine if you were in there and you may be dealing with some memory uh difficulties just trying to navigate around that it i couldn't even imagine uh and it after doing our hospital episode just going through that experience everything was just i was hyper aware to everything and uh i don't know what it is we we just have to as a society start to force some of these facilities to to upgrade and and give discounts where we can because in those type of places there's like there were people in there that didn't have families that were coming to see them all the time um, and you could just see them withering away because there's no stimulation in there looking at the walls and and everything it's just very drab 
So I, I feel like we have to start to pull all of these facilities, all of these buildings up to the to our current time and, and start to implement some of these uh, better design techniques and construction quality and, and different things like that. Cause it's just, it's awful to see uh, people have to go through that sort of thing. I mean, no, no joke, man. That's why I always threaten my parents. I'm like, don't piss me off. I'll put you in a home. Like I totally will. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> so on that note, <laughs> we'll, We'll get started with the conversation today. Again, we're talking about fitness gyms. One of the reasons or a couple of reasons that I wanted to talk about this in college, I had this this concept in mind, looking at a, a gym and and all these people there working out. And I was like, God, that's so much wasted energy just going down the drain. So I had this concept of I couldn't work out the exact science to it, but essentially some track where the pressure of people running on it would generate and conserve electricity. And then another thing that came up recently was uh, a report uh, or study by Nielsen that suggested that 66% of the respondents said that they were willing to pay more for products and services that come from companies committed to positive social and environmental impact. And the younger generations, millennials and Generation Z, uh, share the sentiment at an even higher rate. And almost 75% of the millennials and Gen Z say they will be willing to pay extra for sustainable offerings. So in combination with that and kind of prepping for this, stumbled upon a company called SportsArt. So today we have the project manager, uh, product manager, at sports art he uses his experience as a collegiate athlete and a personal trainer as well as a master's degree in exercise science to bring new insights and approaches to the fitness industry he currently leads the development of new products worldwide that follow the highest standards for biometric excellence while maximizing the usage for members and club owners alike matt thorson Thanks for joining us, Matt. Yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, I'm happy to be here, be able to discuss gyms and, and exercise equipment with you all. Uh, so as Demetrius said, um, I'm the product manager at SportsArt. I've been with SportsArt for a little over two years, and we are based out of Mukilteo, um, which is probably more easily said as north of Seattle, uh, <laughs> if you don't know the Washington area that well. Um, but SportsArt is a Taiwanese-based family-owned company that's been manufacturing exercise equipment for about 50 years that consists both strength and cardio pieces. And uh, probably most interesting today is our EcoPower product line. Yes, yeah, so we want to we wanna talk about that product line specifically. But before we get into that, uh, we want to explain a little bit about the history of, of fitness gyms and gyms. Uh, and to understand that, you got to go back in time. 6th century BCE. The earliest recorded examples of the fitness gym are born in Greece. It originally consisted of an area of packed earth shaded by trees located somewhere close to a river or spring. As explained by Digital Diogenes, the gymnasium was a product of the Greek concept of arete 
The Greeks had a concept called arete, or excellence. They believed that practicing and becoming excellent in many areas of life was good for you. It was good for your city, and it pleased the gods. The central place for developing arete in Greek society was the gymnasium. A Greek gymnasium would be familiar in some ways to modern observers. It was a place to develop strength and fitness. There was a stadium for gymnastics and running, and a palestra for wrestling and boxing. But the gymnasium was much more than a modern gym. Firstly, there were no women. The gymnasium was strictly for men and boys. Secondly, and perhaps most strikingly, there would be much less clothing than you'd see at a modern gym. Almost all Greek sports were done in the nude. Like the gods they looked up to, the Greeks strive for the perfect body and love to display their fitness and physique as a measure of arete. In fact, the Greek word for naked was gymnos, and it's from here that we derive the word gymnasium and gymnastics. The biggest difference though was the ancient gymnasium was aimed at training both the body and the mind. After the fall of the Greco-Roman empires, the appreciation and pursuit of a healthy and sculpted body were frowned upon and gyms disappeared. It wasn't until the early 1800s that gyms made a minor resurgence in Germany. By the middle of the 19th century, schools began to build gymnasiums to help bolster their developing athletic programs. The first commercial gym is typically credited to French gymnast Hippolyte Triot. He opened his first club in Brussels and then added a second in Paris in the late 1840s. In 1844 in London, England, the YMCA would eventually lead the way for fitness for many men and the Boston Young Men's Christian Union claimed to be America's first gym, organized in Boston in 1851. At the end of the 19th century, another gym was established by a German strongman and entrepreneur, Eugene Sandow. In 1901, Sandow staged the world's first physique contest, and he later promoted the growing fitness lifestyle by marketing various publications, equipment, and dietary products, as well as operating a chain of fitness centers throughout Great Britain. To this day, the prize presented at the Mr. Olympia contest is a statuette of Sandow. In 1939, fitness legend Jack LaLanne opened what is believed to be the first U.S. health club in Oakland, California. LaLanne found success designing and introducing many of the machines that are still on traditional gym floors, such as leg extension machines and pulley cable-based strength equipment. After World War II, many Americans worried that U.S. citizens, especially the young, were growing overweight and out of shape. Mechanization minimized physical labor and television reduced recreational activity. Concern about fitness peaked in the mid-1950s with the publication of an international study that found American children far less fit than children in other countries. President John F. Kennedy displayed a commitment to improving the nation's fitness, publishing an article in Sports Illustrated titled The Soft American, frequently addressed the issue publicly, and perhaps in his most famous display, completed a 50-mile hike. Many Americans at the time took the hike as a challenge from their president, and Kennedy capitalized on the enthusiasm with a national publicity campaign on physical fitness. I welcome this opportunity to speak to the people of America about a subject which I believe to be most important, and that is the subject of physical fitness. And I speak not only as President of the United States, but also as a parent of two children who I hope will grow up 
with those qualities of vigor and energy which uh, we identify with the best of America. This should be a matter of concern to us all. A country uh, is as strong, really, as its citizens. And I think that mental and physical health, mental and physical vigor, go hand in hand. I hope that uh, we will not find a day in the United States when all of us are spectators, except for a few who are out on the field. I hope all Americans will be on the field. That is, they will concern themselves with the education of their children, with the physical development of their children, with the participation in the vigorous life, and then also as their children get older, inculcate into them a desire to maintain that vigor through their normal life. Without a doubt, the oddest contribution to this effort was the Chicken Fat song in 1962, written by Meredith Wilson and performed by Robert Preston, in which a six-minute version of the song was released to accompany children during workout routines. Touchdown every morning, ten times, not just now and then. Give that chicken fat back to the chicken and don't be chicken again. No, don't be chicken again. This fitness movement was propelled by a series of cultural changes, including a growing desire to be healthy, a desire to fit in, corporate expectations and culture, changing roles of women, and imagery and products promoted in the media. While bodybuilding was on the fringe of the fitness movement, the birth of Gold's Gym in Venice, California in 1965 signaled the rise of the new big box concept that opened doors to the masses. Mega chains continue to this day, but today's consumers are looking for a more personal, intimate, and meaningful experience. Throughout the 1990s and 2000s, smaller mom-and-pop health clubs, personal training and mind-body studios, along with CrossFit and other specialty exercise facilities, entered the marketplace. After the recession, the less expensive group training sessions were a benefit for both these small businesses and their consumers helping these studios continue to thrive. A notable startup was the Green Micro Gym, opened by Adam Bozel in Portland, Oregon in 2008. The Green Micro Gym is a small space where you can exercise and you can use the exercise equipment to make electricity. When people were exercising on this equipment, the electricity is going right back into the gym using normal wall outlets and helping power the gym. That's a big part of it. And then the other part of the green micro gym idea is that you are conserving as much energy as possible in the building. When the gym is not being used, there's no electricity being used. Because we were a green gym and we were all about being green, we actually found by doing some studies that we were using 85% less electricity than a normally run gym. So it's not so much about how much electricity a human can make, but it's about when you start thinking green, how much electricity that you can save and still have a fantastic experience. Green solutions tend to strike a chord with Millennials and Generation Z and could play a significant role in the way our spaces evolve. Even the spaces where we go to get rid of our chicken fat. Go, you chicken fat, go! 
Okay, guys. Um, so, Matt, I wanted to start with what inspired SportsArt to, to kind of take on the, the EcoPower product line? Yeah, that's a, a good question. Uh, and it really comes from our owner and founder, Paul Quo. He had this vision about giving back to the environment uh, and ensuring that whatever impact that he had, either himself or through his company, that he left uh, essentially no negative impact environmentally. And then the idea came, how do we use exercise equipment to help accomplish that or mitigate any negative uh, impacts? So I think it's about 20, 30 years ago, uh, some of this these ideas started to ruminate. Uh, unfortunately, market wasn't quite right. Timing wasn't quite right. So we had to shelve that for a bit um, until recently, about seven years ago, we had uh, our first EcoPower products that came into the market. They looked a little bit different than they do currently. We had to take this uh, external inverter and at the facilities we had to mount that onto the walls um, there was a bunch of cables and cords going to and from the machines uh, and the reason that we had to follow that form factor was to ensure that we had all of our proper certifications um, namely UL certified that the the device and the units were safe that they were doing what they said they would do um, and that there wasn't any kind of iffy stuff going on there but after we were able to obtain those certifications, we could take that larger external inverter, condense it down into a microinverter, and essentially just seamlessly integrate that within the units, creating a plug-and-play or plug-and-workout unit. Uh, simply take the, the power cord, plug it into the wall, uh, and you can start to generate electricity. That's crazy. So the eco, what did you guys start with? You said the first, the first line of eco power was a little bit different. What type of equipment did you start with? It, it's similar. Um, we started with an elliptical, an upright bike, and a recumbent bike. Potentially an indoor cycle as well. I can't quite remember. Uh, at the time, we called it Green Series. Um, obviously, green is. You know, that kind of springs into mind the idea of eco-friendly and sustainability. Um, but wanting to make sure that we moved away from that large external inverter and kind of have a fresh new look with some of the great same proven technology, we now have EcoPower equipment, uh, which is the product line that we call it now. Uh, and within that, we still have the elliptical. We have the upright cycle, the recumbent cycle, uh, the indoor cycle. And then we've recently added two new products, a non-motorized treadmill, which we call Verde, and a three-in-one cross trainer that we call Verso, which basically takes a combination of an elliptical, a stepper, and a cycle movement path, and then combines them all into one. And all these products are able to harness the human movement, generate the electricity, and then feed it back onto the grid. Quick question: Would you guys are you selling this primarily for like commercial use, or is it, or is there a residential style as well, or you know, because usually there's a pretty good distinction between the two, right? Yeah, yeah. No, there's there's usually a, a pretty clear cut distinction. All of our products are made for commercial use. It's not to say that 
you know, an, an early adopter or someone that truly believes in sustainable fitness equipment couldn't go out and buy this piece of equipment for their home gym. Um, but you know, it, it's a little bit overbuilt for that purpose from yeah, the regard no, it, of it's ready for a lot more abuse of an actual, you know, full gym use, right. Is what you're saying. Just the yeah, 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 definitely. So we've had a lot of installs at like, um, multi-level housing, apartment complexes, uh, office, fitness facilities, um, as well as studios, gyms, uh, more your typical fitness location. Is the eco power line um, a big part of the business model now, of sports arts business model? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, we are known as sports art, but recently we went through a rebranding and we call ourselves sports art, the green fitness company. Oh. So, yeah, um, I would say due to uh, some new leadership and, and different trajectories that we're going down, uh, we've kind of had this key pivot that uh, we not only sell, you know, in my opinion, quality exercise equipment, but we're now really focused on the sustainable aspect uh, equipment that um, stands out visually and stands out conceptually and ones that are able to make the user or the gym owner feel good about you know what they're putting in their facility yeah have you guys seen the uh, Reebok and Gensler collaboration I can't say that I have I saw the article but uh is first I, I had heard of it for the listeners, it's a collaboration between uh, Reebok and Gensler, the architecture group. Their thought is that in the future, with the the increase in electric cars, that gas stations will somewhat go out of use. And uh, so they're trying to repurpose existing gas stations uh, and three different types of gas stations and turn them into basically fitness hubs. And Just so we're clear, I plan on not having an electric vehicle until I'm forced to have an electric vehicle. <laughs> and I don't think that's going to happen for a long time. <laughs> anyway, sorry. And and the reason I mention that is because I was curious if, uh, I don't know if you can mention it if you are, but Matt, if you guys were, I, I see this as like fitting perfectly in line, adding all of this power from, from people using uh, using the equipment which can essentially be converted into charging your electric vehicle uh, at mm -hmm. all of these repurposed uh, gas stations. And just a little bit of a, a detail on that, um, the three types of gas stations that they're looking at, they would call the network, which is uh, gas stations off of major interstates and turning them into uh, major facilities that have spinning and boxing and CrossFit gyms, the Oasis, which is for large gas stations that are located off of small local highways. Uh, and that would be geared towards the needs of the commuter with yoga and meditation pods. And then the community center, which are small local gas stations uh, that are in local towns and transforming them into uh, hubs for communities to enhance their well-being and having various things like uh, nutrition classes, CrossFit spinning, uh, etc but learning about sports art and and seeing this i thought this would fit perfectly together if this project actually goes through no definitely i think the cohesiveness of the, the that mindset of moving towards you know electric vehicles and then 
exercise equipment that actually can produce electricity. Um, I have to admit this is the first that I've heard about the article, so I don't know anything uh, other than what you've said, but I think that you know the concept is very intriguing to say the least. It's a lead for you, so you can call up uh, Gensler and, and Reebok. <laughs> <laughs> we'll make sure you get your commission for that, yeah. <laughs> so let's, let's talk a, a little bit uh, details on the, uh, the EcoPower. For anyone that may not exactly get how it works uh, technically, can you sort of synthesize and simplify uh, how the equipment works? And with that how much energy is actually generated by by using the equipment yeah actually simple is perfect for me i'm not an electrical <laughs> engineer or uh, a physicist or anything like that so i'll attempt to kind of explain this in layman's terms uh, it's actually fairly simple if you don't dive into it too much but the framework is that our ecopower products have, uh, as I said, the micro inverter inside of them. Um, but as the user gets on the bike or the treadmill or the elliptical and begins to exercise, that movement will essentially um, spin a flywheel. That flywheel, uh, through belts and gears and whatnot, will spin a generator and, and interact with an alternator. And essentially, all that power generation then goes into the microinverter where that energy is um, rectified or amplified or cleaned up, whatever happens on that electrical engineering side. Mm -hmm. um, and the output is utility-grade electricity that, uh, as I said, simply plug the unit into you know, a standard wall outlet um, and you're able to then generate electricity. As you kind of questioned how much can we expect there's a lot of different facets to that. Um, just the nature of the products as they are used by humans and we are unreliable. You really have to look at what is the RPM that you're exercising at? What is the resistance that you have on the belt or on the elliptical? Uh, and how long is the duration of your workout? The hardware itself has a physical maximum of energy that is able to basically produce and that is set at 250 watt hours uh, so you know theoretically if someone is able to perform a very high intensity exercise that lasts for an hour they could be right about 250 watts uh, though generally we like to say that an average hour-long workout would be about 160 watts so nearly 360 watt light bulbs for an hour, which doesn't sound like a lot, but um, really can add up. Yeah, especially if you're in the situation of like a spin class, right? That's probably one of the most uh, efficient uses of the, the product. Oh, with, yeah, without a doubt. Um, you know, spin classes, I think, are known for being very high intensity and thus very high energy producing. Um, many of which go for 30 minutes to an hour and, you know, they really kind of just cram people in there. So, um, high intensity, a lot of units, uh, that's where you're really starting to see the technology of EcoPower begin to make a, a change at the facility at the energy consumption level. 
I think the spin class is the one that makes the most sense. I mean, I don't, I, I don't go to the gym at, at, uh, at peak hours. I go at off, you know, off peak, obviously. And I'm just sitting there thinking about the rows of treadmills and bikes and, you know, ellipticals and all the other and stairmasters and everything else. I'm thinking, shoot, if you had, which I'd imagine at normal peak hours, if you had a good 70% of those things being utilized, that, that could generate a good amount of, a good amount of energy. I mean, it really could. It may, it makes really good sense. I don't, again, again, to, that's point, I don't know how hard these people are pushing it consistently, you know. So when you're, you know, most of them don't have the resistance cranked up and those types of things. So I'm sure that plays a really good factor to it, as he was mentioning. But you can kind of see the concept take off if you cram in that many people and have that many machines going at one time. Makes sense. Yeah, and, and actually the savings is obviously the exercise equipment is energy producing. Um, so you get, you know, your savings from that aspect. Uh, or your energy production from that aspect, but the entire line is also self-powered where a standard treadmill consumes a lot of energy. You now have a treadmill that doesn't require energy because it's non-motorized. So you're saving that in addition to the amount that you're able to generate. Hmm. Do you guys have TVs and the other bells and whistles on uh, the equipment? You know, I think that um, people have an infatuation with technology and a bigger screen or, or better integrated technology. Um, so, you know, we have those same premium features. We don't put them in our eco power line because that would kind of defeat the purpose to have this <laughs> large touch screen. That's just sucking electricity. But it's interesting that we've seen in certain locations is they'll go about 50, 50. They'll go with a, a, a treadmill that has like a 19 inch touchscreen display, all the bells and whistles. And then they'll go with the Verde EcoPower treadmill. So they're still getting those premium features, but they're getting the offset uh, from the EcoPower products. Don't take this as a shot. It's not meant to be by any means. Do you, do you think a lot of people that sign up for your products, Matt, are they are they really green friendly, or are they looking for that like kind of green marketing piece? You know what I'm saying, or do you, or is it a combination of the two? It's actually a very good point because it's we found it to be incredibly powerful to have that key differentiator to where you can say, I have a treadmill, they have a treadmill. You know what's to to make you choose coming to my gym versus their gym? But now if you can say, you know, I have sustainable fitness equipment. And that is huge to, as you said, uh, millennials, which are the fastest growing gym going population. And, and they're willing to pay more for those products that are able to, you know, either give them that, that feeling that they're giving back um, or is like minded um, in their pursuits. From, I would say, from my personal experience dealing with the customers that we have. Uh, some installs that it can be hard to tell where their motivation is, but um, nearly always in the end, you see them start to accept and gravitate more towards that sustainable aspect of living in general. Uh, we have one one facility, and they've started to ensure that there's no plastic water bottles that are allowed in their facility, or they have fewer bins so people take their trash with them. Um, or, you know, making sure that they're using low wattage LED lights. And it's beginning to perhaps convert them as well, uh, whether their initial motivations were merely to drive more people to their business. So it's really becoming just 
part of their complete story, part of the complete package. Huh? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, as you said, that could very well be a continuation of, you know, we're sustainable in our exercise equipment. Now we're also sustainable from this aspect. But um, I think, you know, if you keep living that, eventually it, it can kind of take over, which I think would be great. So how soon is it that we start to see your product in the larger gyms uh, or national gyms, you know, like a 24 hour fitness or an Equinox or an LA fitness type of program? Yeah. Recently we've switched our distribution model um, where typically we went after a lot of vertical markets, um, multi-level housings, uh, office, gyms, fitness facilities, and are trying to go over and get some of those bigger fish you know, we've had some success at universities, which I think generally have a sustainability department. Um, and, and that's kind of been a, a big factor for us, but I think we're making our way there. So, yeah. So it, it is accurate though, that the majority of your customers or, or people that have purchased, uh, your equipment are actually companies. They're not individuals. So it's not really a Peloton model where an individual would come to you and say, I'd like to purchase, one of your treadmills and get it installed Correct. in my house and start putting back into my own personal grid. So it's not there yet. It's more of a, of a larger scale model where like you said, a university or mm-hmm. you know, maybe a, a larger one-off gym um, is, is using your equipment. Yes, absolutely. Correct. Okay. Got it. Cause I mean, essentially you would like, you know, when Michelle's talking about the, tw- I go to 24 hour, so I've got to pass, you know, wherever there's 24 hour, and you're trying to compete with like life fitness and, and those, you know, pre-core and those types of products. Yeah. Yeah. Those are, you know, kind of the, the bigger names that have been there, been there for a while. Matt, what's the, what's the, uh, cost comparison? We've worked hard to make sure that this eco power product line is competitively priced with what would be a traditional treadmill or elliptical or bike. Uh, you know, we really wanted to ensure that there wasn't really a price speed bump that was keeping keeping people away from the idea, especially with um, a somewhat newer technology. You know, we really believe in it, obviously, ourselves. Um, but I would say that the pricing is uh, very comparable because we wanted to make sure that it was more widely accepted. Yeah. If that's the case, what is the hurdle from one of the big mm-hmm. fish, you know, moving in that direction and doing away with life fitness, wherever it is that they're currently yeah, uh, yeah. using? You know, some of it is politics. Uh, some of it is these larger, large chain fitness facilities have contracts um, that they're kind of beholden to. Got it. Uh, yeah, yeah. I would say that's um, kind of a, a number one thing. And some people just something that changes over time. I mean, if you know, contracts don't last forever. So as contracts start to, uh, you know, expire, then Mm -hmm. maybe Mm -hmm. that leaves an opportunity. But I think it's, it's kind of one of those things of word of mouth, right? Like prior to us setting up this episode, I was not aware of any such type of product. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, it definitely helps to uh, grow your brand awareness. 
Um, and as you said, you know, contracts run out and we've started to see that slowly as people that have been dealing with the same companies for a long time are beginning to want to switch over, whether they had a, a bad experience or they want to explore that green side of things. So, you know, we're slowly beginning to get some of those wins in our corner. Is there a competitor who does exactly what you do? Not that I'm aware competitors. of. Okay. Yeah. I was just yeah. curious. I mean, how big of a market is this? And, and does that really, you know, let's just say you had competition. There were two or three or four other companies that were mm-hmm. developing the same type of product as, as you all are. Um, you know, in some ways, if there was more competition, I, in my mind, it seems like you'd see that start to infiltrate other gyms and, and the bigger fish and that sort of thing. Whereas if you're the only sole company that's producing this product, you know, that's good on you. That's obviously great for your business, but obviously I think it's all the more reason that that brand awareness and and really just the marketing of the idea and the concept, you know, is all the more important in order to get it into, you know, gyms across America and abroad and abroad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, we, we are a worldwide company. As I said, we're based out of Taiwan. So we have installations all across the globe. Um, But to your point, uh, yes, it, it's, it can be helpful not having a direct competitor. Um, cause if someone really wants green fitness equipment, then we're kind of the, uh, the, the go-to if you will. Yeah. I think this is going to be the future. Um, I, I imagine contracts are a big part of the issue and, and the eco power line specifically will start to take off uh, pretty soon once all of that stuff kind of goes out of the way. And I love the, um, the treadmill that you guys did. I haven't been on it specifically, but uh, the gravity type of treadmill, I just ran on one for the first time this past week and that Mm -hmm. thing whoops your butt uh so i i really like that you guys went that i mean it's probably the only way that you could have done it but uh that's a really cool product uh that you have there as well um yeah it's a it's a whole nother beast running on a non-motorized treadmill than one you just have to simply keep up with for sure yeah (laughs) is that is that like in the because i've been on like momentum treadmills is that the same thing I'm I'm not familiar with a, a momentum treadmill. Um, okay. Most non-motorized treadmills have a, a very distinct curve shape. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and basically, the further up you land with your front foot on yeah. that that slope, uh, kind of di- dictates how quickly you run. Um, yep. Totally uh, hate that thing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I would say ours is different because we actually use a flat belt, so it looks identical to a traditional treadmill. Uh, and then we use a, a combination of a electromagnetic brake and then mechanical brake. Um, so you can actually, even though there's no motor in it, you can control your speed uh, by how much braking is on the belt. So um, is that kind of like the ma- is that kind of like the magnetic stuff on the uh, like the cycle bikes and stuff like that? Same idea. Yeah, yeah, kind of like that. Um, okay. Basically, uh, you know, you can hit a little toggle and increase your speed, and it releases resistance on the belt, and then you can move faster. Um, so it's a little bit more approachable than something that looks high performance, um, like a curved treadmill. So Matt, Very let's cool. let's uh, let's kind of broaden out a little bit and talk about just gyms in general you mentioned a few um 
things that you've seen, some of the gems that you that you guys distribute to, starting to implement, you know, no plastic bottles and and all these little things. Have you heard of any gems considering uh, sustainable building design methods with the actual facility, kind of pairing that with with your product line to to conserve energy? I haven't heard of a new gym, you know, building their facility in in that way. Um, I do know that there are some facilities in Chile that basically took our EcoPower equipment and then used them to to get lead points so that they could, hmm. uh, whatever lead certification that they were striving for at the time, uh, that pushed them up a couple points to help them get into, um, whether it was bronze or silver, um, I, I can't remember, but we've begun seeing that where they're using it in a combination or another facility that is using a combination of our equipment and solar panels and battery storage. And now they're basically uh, producing an excess. They're working towards a net zero facility and potentially with that battery storage produce enough that they can um, give it or sell it to their, uh, their neighbors. Wow. Yeah. We just did an episode on lead and uh, the well designed standards um, so for any listeners that skipped that one or, or haven't heard it, you can go back and get some details on that. It's interesting because I, I saw some trends uh, kind of going forward. Some are starting to consider at, at least materiality um, using certified woods and, and things like that, going towards that, that sustainable uh, sort of design method. Jason, have you... You're the gym rat of the group. Have you yeah. seen? <laughs> well, yeah, you know, it's what I what I really like what Matt was saying was, you know, when they're when we're talking about sustainability and lead. I mean, again, I keep thinking about just like my gym or the few that I frequent when I travel and stuff like that. I mean, you've got rows and rows of machines, and the idea being, if they were all some type of machine that generated its own electricity or could even put it back into the grid, like, why wouldn't you do that? I think is really the, the question that I have, right? Which is great for their company. But I think as you go around, a, as you go around the gym, a lot of the materials that are in there would be, you know, re- or should be recycled type products. I mean, all the rubber flooring, yeah, which is predominantly what's in there. You know what I mean? That's all got recycled tire type products available. And I know, you know, just from the flooring side of what I do, you know, we use stuff like that all the time. You know, if you can get the machines to produce electricity, I mean, you know, the the only wood floors that you have in there are for basketball courts and maybe like a racquetball court or even a, you know, yoga studio. But a lot of times they're using bamboo and those types of things, which is obviously highly sustainable. So it's, it's almost like if the more and more I think about it, a gym could be one of the most green places around just because of the type of materials that are generally utilized. Yeah. And then if you if you throw in these machines... I mean, you know, the, the thing that I think about, Matt, like, I'll be honest with you, you know, it sounds like you played sports in college, too, and that type of stuff. Like, I hate cardio now. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I, I, like I did that for so long for, you know, whether it was hockey and soccer and, and having to be in just such freaking tip-top shape and you haven't played college sports, you know what I'm talking about. Uh-huh. Like, I just, I just absolutely loathe the idea of having to run again and do all that kind of stuff. We do it, right? But it's just not what you want. But then you start thinking, okay, you know, I enjoy lifting more so now than I did before. And, you know, how, how could you guys create, you know, energy that way? Because that there's a ton of energy expenditure going into those types of things, but I just can't in my head fathom how I'd be able to do that with free weights. I mean, maybe on some of the machines that are, you know, pulleyed, 
mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and, and those types and, and that have like, you know, pulley stacks, maybe we could do it. You guys could do it that way. But if that was ever figured out, I mean, the whole damn thing could be running off of that. <laughs> you know, I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a really cool concept that I really like the idea of. And most of the gyms, you know, that I'm at, you know, they're, they're all changing to, to, uh, you know, LED lights and, and all that type of stuff everywhere. But again, it's like the more and more I think about it, most of the materials that are in there could be recycled materials. Yeah. Jason, one of the things I wanted to point out, you just mentioned was the LED light trend. They're actually doing that to kind of, um, do this advanced lighting control. They're trying to introduce a couple things. One light therapy, which I found surprising. And then to target millennials and Generation Z, having the the capacity to sync the lighting with workouts and music. I don't know. If my gym starts turning into a strobe fest, I'm out, <laughs> man. I, like, you know what I mean? You get one light that's blinking on you and it freaks me out. And much less there's a bunch of knuckleheads in there that I don't want to have it, having any control over anything that's going on around me anyway. But, um, you know, somebody gets a little too much pre-workout in them, it could be a big problem, you know. But um, Matt knows what I'm talking about. But I think I think there's a lot that can be done with lighting. We've talked about that before, like when we're talking about hospitals, right? You kind of mentioned that before. Yeah. You know, but but again, like I just can't get off this idea. If everything's LED light, like you don't need a lot of electricity to, to, to power an LED light. No. You know what I mean? Like you don't. If we're talking usually you know, Matt, I don't I don't I can't remember you said a sixty watt bulb, right? Mm-hmm. What you it was like powered three sixty watt bulbs where I think the I think the wattage t- from an LED perspective to a 60 watt bulb is something like 3.5 watts. It's like super it, low. It's super low. So if you start, I mean, I'm, I'm really getting kind of fired up about this. If you take that information and you were able to do that with those machines, I mean, you could probably power, oops, sorry. You could probably power <laughs> most of it. You know what I mean? Like pretty consistently. So I, I don't know. I think it's a really great idea. I was, I was pretty skeptical in the beginning, but the more we're talking about this, it's like, you know what? Why not? You know, I mean, everybody's into cycling these days. So even if you're not in a cycle class, which there's cycle classes going on all the time at 24 hour, mm-hmm. there's still a row of bikes that a few people at row machines. I mean, row machines would be awesome if you guys could do that because those generate all sorts of energy. But the treadmills, the bikes, the stair climbers, all that kind of stuff like there's it's kind of like you look at it and go, shoot, most electricity for that place could be generated just off of that. Mm-hmm. It kind of makes sense. I mean, it's pretty cool. Except for all yeah, the TVs that are in there. That's the problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, people got to have their TVs, right? Yeah, I'm um, not going to lie. It helps me veg out when I have to do my cardio. It's like, okay, it makes it less worse. You know what I mean? But No, no, I, I understand. Um, it's, it's interesting. We have a location in the UK that actually keeps track of each member's energy production and then offers basically a discount on their membership costs. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. I think that's a great idea. I wanted to point out on the the TV uh, problem. Actually, a lot of people that I see end up using their phones. They don't even use the TV. Half of the time, the TV doesn't work anyway. Uh, so that might be uh, something that goes away at some point soon. Uh, no, I don't think so. Because I think I think there's too many people from a different generation. Like, I watch the TV. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I've got sports center. I'm listening to music and watching sports center. You know what I mean? Like that's kind of the way it is. Plus there's a lot of generation generational differences that are there. Um, at least when I'm there early in the morning that, 
you know, they're they're watching the tele. I don't I don't see that going away. Uh, hell, hell, the gym I'm at, they just doubled the amount of TVs we have there in the last like two months. No joke. So I think that's probably going to stay for a while. Huh. And then I wanted to mention a couple other crazy things in the future that I came across before we get out of here. So in the future, they're predicting that we'll have more personalization through DNA testing. So uh, you're going to have to give them a, a vial of blood, Jason, so they can let you know exactly what workout to do and what to eat or not eat. And then I'm going, I'm going back to the same thing I mentioned earlier. Matt remembers them telling us how much we had to run and them telling us how much we had to eat and when we had to eat it and what it was. And we didn't get a whole lot of choices. That's not going to work for me. Anymore. <laughs> so I'm going to, I'm going to do it my way and that's it. But no, I could see, I mean, I think there's a lot of stuff that's going to come with genetic coding and all that type of stuff. That's going to tell you what you're predisposed to or what your body metabolizes the best or operates on the best. But I think that's getting like super personal, yeah. like, super personal. <laughs> and I won't say the specifics of how they get all of this stuff, but uh, I'll post the article for anyone's interested in uh, how they propose getting this information. And then a few other things to consider when designing a uh, a gym going into the future is obviously the technology, how it's affecting everything. So they all they're talking about facial and body recognition cameras and software that will based on your body shape, recommend workouts, equipment to use, and what to eat. Potential of robotic trainers. And then the last one is virtual reality group training classes. <laughs> so I told I totally see the virtual reality one coming in. I do not get that. I I could, I could see it. I could see that more so than a robotic trainer. Yeah, I guess. But if you have you ever worn the VR glasses? Yeah, it's. I mean, it's kind of claustrophobic, right? It's a little funky. You get kind of seasick, like nauseous and dizzy. Yeah, I mean, I, obviously, you know, it's it's we're we're only through a couple of iterations of it, right? So it's going to get better and better and better. Yeah. But I could see, I could see that taking place. I, yeah. I, for whatever reason, I could see that taking place. I think when you're wearing like a regular pair of glasses or something, and not something that's like completely encasing your head. Yeah, You know what I mean? Like, I could see that happening at some point, and I think it makes sense, and it's kind of like you have somebody to work out with, you know? I yeah. mean, look at Peloton. M Michelle mentioned it earlier, right? I know it's not I know it's not a VR glass, but that's essentially what it is. Yeah, the augmented reality makes more sense, because, you know, you're not yeah, that's true. in something. But, uh, Michelle, you got any questions for Matt before we wrap up? No questions. Uh, we should do a, a second round on fitness, though, because I feel like we're barely scratching the surface on just sort of all the other considerations in terms of fitness space. Yeah. And I think that's I think it's evolving on the one hand of what we've just talked about now with the green technology and and you know energy output and all of that. But I think there's just the way that people are fitnessing. <laughs> I think is changing, right? Uh, and I you know I'll just give you some high examples and we don't need to go into detail now but you know you think about um like take the nike stores so there's a number of nike stores now that actually have a gym space in the back of the store and they offer all sorts of different classes and training sessions and you know workout groups that meet and train and work out literally in a class format within a retail store I mean, that's a very different thing that wasn't around, you know, probably five, 10 years ago. 
you know, Peloton and, and from a social standpoint where they're interconnected to other people and other communities through a network of, of individuals that they've never met, nor will they ever meet. You have other things like Orange Theory Fitness and, you know, there's other kind of smaller programs, not smaller programs, but, uh, you know, the, the whole CrossFit phenomenon with industrial, you know, gyms now popping up in industrial buildings or in old warehouses and that sort of thing. So I feel like we could talk so much about sort of space yeah. and where fitness fits within spaces. Um, I, I think there's there's a lot on this topic that we could get into. Yeah, we could probably actually come back and do a second episode to all of our topics, but we'll definitely come back to this one at a future point. But for those that are interested specifically in the space design, just to leave you with a few things, flexibility is obviously going to be one of the, the highest things to consider. You have to accommodate different types of equipment. If you do the group training sessions, being able to accommodate different class sizes. Uh, so consider potentially a raised floor system where you can run connections below the floor and allow you to move equipment around, provide a lot of storage. So if there's certain equipment that isn't needed, they can put that away. A few other things to consider is providing a safe and healthy environment, durable and uh, easily maintained facility. So make sure you have the correct flooring to, to accommodate for impact, noise, Consider indoor air quality and natural light for these fitness areas, especially ones that have high humidity environments. You want to be able to ventilate that space, and get good air in and get bad air out, protecting vulnerable fixtures and, uh, and equipment like lighting and sprinkler heads. So that's just a few things that to, to consider while you're designing these spaces. But we can definitely come back and do another episode that'll get more into detail um, for some of those things, but I want to thank you again, Matt, for joining us. Uh, this is a good episode. I think you guys have a, a great product there. So, uh, thank you again. Oh, well, hey, uh, we, thank you. Do we, hey, Matt, do we know if there's anything out here in Southern California where we might be able to find some of your products? Like, is there any like chain gyms or anything like that? Cause I'd actually like to check some of it out. Uh, I know for sure there's one in Sacramento. I'd have to get you the names uh, offline, probably. I, I don't know them off the top of my head. Yeah, no problem. I just think I, I think, think it'd be cool because I, I think it's a great concept, and I'd actually like to experience some of the product. I agree. Maybe that's something that we can post uh, in our show notes. You know, if we can get that list, it'd be neat for for you know both Jason and me, but also others that may want to go check it out. And and again, it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier with the word of mouth, and and this seems like it's a concept that has wings or legs or whatever the saying is <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it's more about you know it's more about education and letting people know that it even exists I, I don't know that there's a lot of people that even probably gym owners that even know that this technology is here um, <clears throat> and is available yeah i mean even like selfishly like for our office you know a lot of our associates we're we're, we're planning on putting in a gym you know, to be utilized by the group. And if we've got to, you know, I've talked to like life fitness people and pre cores and all that kind of stuff. Like I, I would love the idea and we've got a lot of millennials, you know what I mean? I'd love the idea <laughs> of potentially utilizing product like yours, as opposed to some of the other stuff. You know what I mean? I, I think, I think it'd be really cool. I think it's a hell of an idea. Well, thank you. It's, it's certainly nice to hear all that. So <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah. So thank you again, Matt. Um, we'll, we'll post, um, 
all your info. Do you want to drop the uh, sports art website name uh, just so people can hear it? Yeah, the website is gosportsart.com. That's G-O-S-P-O-R-T-S-A-R-T.com. Great. Cool. Uh, so we'll put uh, all the other info on our website. And um, thank you again for joining us, everyone. Uh, if you have any comments to what we talked about today, feel free to email us to hello at spacespodcast.com. You can chat with us on any of our social media sites, um, Spaces Podcast. And we want to thank you again for spending this time with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and like it and forward the link to a friend. Your support is the only way that the show grows. And if you just stumbled upon the show, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss another episode. Also, check out spacespodcast.com under the Listen tab for photos and notes on the things we talked about today. But before you go, next time on Spaces Podcast. So if you want or can afford a swanky luxury apartment like this one, fantastic, because there are lots and lots of them and landlords are giving away concessions. But that is not the case in the rest of the rental market where more affordable apartments are desperately needed and rents are still rising, driving inflation. Multifamily construction is now at a 40-year high. Completions last year jumped 46% from 2016, more than doubling the long-term average, that according to RealPage. The trouble is 80% of that is luxury. Why? Because of the high costs of land, labor, and materials. Construction costs up 1% per month for the last 36 months. And with all that said, if you're catching up, hit next. Or if you're listening as we put these out, we'll see you in a couple weeks. Thanks. Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise. From 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. 
Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm.